0: Hello and welcome to More Than Politics, a podcast for those of us who want something more than what we've come to expect from politics, and from our political discourse. My name is Julie Varner Walsh, I'm your host. On today's episode, I'll be talking with my friend Leslie Scholey about the experience of being politically uncomfortable. She and I enjoy a kinship of sorts. Our political views are similar to one another. But they make us outliers in our respective communities. Leslie, who lives in a conservative, Southern Republican state, identifies as a pro-life Democrat. And I, who live in a liberal East Coast Democratic state, find myself as a sort of moderate, uncomfortable Republican. We both identify with the minority parties in our states, but find ourselves as ideological minorities even within those parties. We are both very well used to being politically uncomfortable. Leslie, who is a graduate of Georgetown University, has been writing the blog Life in Every Limb since 2010. She works as her husband's legal assistant and she writes and edits for nonprofits that feed the hungry, build community, and work for systemic change. Leslie has also worked as a correspondent for her diocesan newspaper and written a column on life issues. She was a charter member and long-term chair of the Respect Life Committee of the Diocese of Knoxville. Leslie has been married for 31 years and has five children, aged 15 to 29. She lives in her birthplace of Knoxville, Tennessee. In this particular moment, when we here in the United States have finished up one major party's national convention and were just beginning the other's, Let's pause to consider what it's like to not be a committed partisan. Let's explore what it's like to be politically uncomfortable. This conversation was recorded on August 17th. All right. Hello, Leslie. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm I'm super excited about it.
0: Good. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because a lot... Of what I've been experiencing through my adulthood, but especially in the past five to 10 years, is the sense of just being so uncomfortable. Just like I pine for a time in my life when I could be excited about a political candidate. <laughs> and I, um, I've i gotten used to it at this point. And it's been interesting for me to see so many people since the 2016 election sort of coming into this feeling of discomfort. And I feel like saying, welcome to my world. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you're in a similar position. This has been our whole lives, um, especially because of not only our position within our party, but also our, our place within our community and our state. So to begin with, could you describe your political background, especially as it relates to your family? Like, when did you first become aware of politics, especially partisan
1: politics? So I think, um, believe it or not, I was really little. um, I guess it would have been 1971, maybe, when when George McGovern was running for president. And I remember walking around uh, our neighborhood with my mother and she was handing out flyers for George McGovern. And those were kind of laying around my house for (laughs) for the rest of my childhood. Um, Uh. And so I'm sure at that time, it was explained to me then. Oh, you know, he's the Democrat. We're Democrats. That—that's what I mm-hmm. remember. Is just being told we're Democrats. Yeah. And then that was also um, not long after that 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 uh, Richard Nixon, of course, was the president then. So it was pretty easy to demonize Republicans with with Watergate going on, which I right, also right. I also remember. Um, I have a memory of in the the shopping center um, that we went to when I was small. It was still not completely built, and there was some graffiti on part of uh, an interior wall where there was an empty storefront, and it said impeach Nixon in big letters. And I remember my mother explained to me what impeach Nixon meant, and we were all for impeaching Nixon. Right. So um, I think i kind of at that point as a child, uh, was given the impression that Democrats good, Republicans bad basically, mm-hmm. you know, and not really more, no more nuance than that to it as far as to what Democrats actually believed versus what Republicans actually believed. I don't really think I had any clue about any of that at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Can you also tell us about where you're from? I, I haven't said that yet, where you live and sure. um, and what you knew as a child about the
1: partisan views of your community. So I live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I've always lived here with a, a brief, um, time going to going to college at, at Georgetown for four years and then for a living in uh, Alexandria for a year after that after after I got married um, so yeah so I've always been down here in the south um, but I didn't really have any sense when I was a child being told that oh, we were Democrats if so that was any way unusual um, my first encounter with that idea was when Jimmy Carter was running for president and I think I was in maybe the, the fourth grade and I think that we had a straw poll in our classroom and everybody was supposed to raise their hand to say who they were voting for and I was the only one who was voting for Jimmy or whose family was voting for Jimmy Carter and I was I was shocked you know I had no idea no idea at all that this was the way things were um so that was yeah that was that was a big shock but it didn't really come into play really much more in my childhood I mean it wasn't mm-hmm. like and I think it's Maybe things are different now, but I think that back then it was still very much the kind of thing where you know religion and politics are are not topics for polite company. We weren't talking about them all the time mm, people mm-hmm. I don't feel like people identify themselves so strongly in a partisan way, except when it was time to vote for things, but not right. like all the time um you know like i've I'm maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but I'll just say that you know, as an adult and being on Facebook with all my former um you know child classmates, I went to Catholic schools with the same people, you know, some people I was in school with for, for 12 years. So I've known these people since I was six years old and I had no idea, you know, what their political views were to the extent that I know now and maybe wish that I did not. Um, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't even through high school. That was just not a thing.
0: We have an insight into a lot of our friends that we never had before. Yes,
1: Yes, indeed.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, um, I'm sort of smiling about your background because it's, it's like the inverse of mine. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I am from Maryland, which is super liberal, but I come from a really Republican family. So it's not just that I'm new to Republicanism. It's like generations. Mm. Uh, But, but I always knew that Maryland was a democratic state and we were in the political minority because my grandfather was involved in local politics. So campaigning and talking about politics was a huge part of my childhood. And I mean, there was just no escaping the fact that we were in the minority. And I think that was also kind of a source of pride when I was a kid because it was like, oh, we're fighting the good fight, you know, we're, (laughs) we're out, we're out in the wilderness. And, (laughs) and so it was like, almost like a rallying cry, like, oh, we're, you know, we've got something to fight for here, kind of a thing. So I found it kind of thrilling, almost, it was sort of exciting to me. Um, And, um, but I had almost the same experience that you talk about with Jimmy Carter, except mine was like a decade later with (laughs) George H.W. Bush when (laughs) I was in elementary school, um, probably around that same age, maybe like fourth grade or so during the, uh, Clinton Bush election. And they, I guess there was some sort of like school wide campaign where there would be a campaign manager for each candidate and you would maybe give a little speech and make posters or something. And, um, then at the end of the campaign, kids would vote. Well, I was like, hand up in the air, no question. I wanted to be campaign manager for George H.W. Bush. And of course, (laughs) nobody else in my class cared. Like nobody cared. And most of them came from Democratic families. Mm -hmm. So they were like, Pro Clinton, but none of them were as excited as I was. As I was I have always been a political nerd ever since I was a little kid.
1: You were born so, for that moment. It sounds like. Oh yeah, it was
0: <laughs> like this is my yeah this is my moment. Um, so I was that like little elementary school campaign manager, and of course I live in Maryland. He was defeated, and I was pretty disappointed, though not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, yeah. So I never really had. I never really had any angst about being in the political minority because it just was how it was. I didn't know anything else. Mm -hmm. Did you, especially as you got into adulthood, like, um, did you struggle with being in the political minority?
1: Well, you know, I wasn't really um, an adult uh, voting here when at the point in time when when that would have maybe bothered me, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the first, I want to say the first time I voted in Washington and Virginia, right. Right. For like the first, when I started to really think about these things, I was not mm-hmm. here. Um, but, but I feel like, you know, I still think I probably had very little awareness at that time of how much of a minority I was in, because I really wasn't, fo- I wasn't like you at that time. I wasn't following mm-hmm. the stuff, this, this, Intense interest in politics that we all have in our family now um, is really thanks to my husband, I guess. Uh, he Mm -hmm. He majored in international politics at Georgetown. And so he was really into it. And that's how we all got really into it. Um, over the years, we're all obsessed Mm. now. But when I was a teenager, um, I was not really obsessed yet. So I feel like the first time that I went to vote, um, and I think it wasn't like a presidential election, it was some local race, I just went into the voting booth and just flipped the lever for every Democrat without even probably knowing a single thing about any of them, just because I was thinking, well, you know, I'm a Democrat, and and that's what you do. And I mean, I still know plenty of people. I was just thinking that today, looking on Facebook, somebody had posted a slate of all the people who were running, all the Democrats who are running, and they're like, oh, here they all are. And I'm thinking, I don't, you know, I don't vote that way even now. I I look at them and decide um, based on many factors. You know, I don't just go and vote for any party blindly. A straight party ticket, no, no, right? I, no, I know. I don't do that. Yeah. So, um, but that was where I was at that time. That was definitely just where I was like, oh, you're a Democrat. You vote for Democrats. My family's de- Democratic. I'm Democrat. That's that's where I was. Um you know, as a young, as a young adult before I went to college. And I would say that, I'm, and I will probably get into this, I guess, but it was um, basically pro-life issues that were pivotal in making me start to really think about um, what my beliefs were within the party and, and all that kind of thing.
0: Right. Yeah. For me, it was probably when I went off to college, my political views didn't change very much when I went to college except that that was the point where I really felt the urge to seek context like I wanted to understand the whole picture Mm -hmm. you know yeah and I was a political science major in college so that makes sense you know it's talking you know we were learning about different political systems and um So I really started to explore more in that time period. I just wanted to understand the big picture better. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was when I had my first real change of opinion. So I went to a Catholic college and I started learning about um, the death penalty. And I had always been very much in favor of it. I mean, just very Republican, Mm -hmm. um, probably aside from my political tendencies, I also am like, um, I don't know if you've ever taken the Myers-Briggs thing, oh, yes. but uh, so I'm an INFJ. Ha, so am I. And Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and But the funny thing is for like the I, I'm right, I'm barely introvert. I'm like right on the line between, I've tested both ENFJ mm-hmm. and INFJ, but on J, I'm about as strong as you can get. I am like super <laughs> judgy i don't know oh oh
1: oh yes i relate to this julie um okay
0: yeah i'm I'm,
1: I'm actually super i very very i but but i'm pretty i think my j is maybe moved back a little bit but i'm i'm very J as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, I haven't taken it a long time. It'd be interesting to know how I was then, yeah. how I am now. But so at any rate, it, it is just my like natural inclination to like hand out judgment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and so my thought was when it came to crime, my thought was like, well, if you commit a crime, then you deserve whatever punishment you get. Mm-hmm. Like I just, to me it didn't even occur to me to like temper a punishment and so it was a real struggle for me to reconsider my position on the death penalty because like every fiber of my being wanted to be like there is justice in in killing someone who killed you know Mm -hmm. and it was really um not it, it this didn't even come from like any of my political science classes or anything. It really came more on a spiritual level, like my understanding of church teaching and talking to friends who were very faithful Catholics, talking to seminarians. That's really where like the wheels started turning in my mind. Mm -hmm. And especially as I read about Pope John Paul II and, Mm -hmm. and other Catholics, that's really when I started to reconsider my opinion. And I, by the time I was done college, I was very much against the death penalty and that felt like a a big change in yeah. like in my heart, you know. Yeah. So, I think that would be the beginning of it and then um when I was in my mid 20s, I went to work as a lobbyist in Annapolis on church issues related to poverty, immigration and uh healthcare. Mhm. And I, um, the, the that was not my wheelhouse. I was very uncomfortable. I bet. <laughs> that, was, that was the position that was open and that was the position that was offered to me, but it, it was not the one that I would have just gone in and chosen if I'd had my druthers. Yeah. So, but it was like, okay, well, this is where I am. This is my job. I just, I need to learn about these things. And really it was just learning about these issues that I had just never thought about. I really hadn't. And yeah. I, I just did not know about what people experiencing poverty experience when it comes to um, when it comes to things like housing vouchers and homeless shelters and mm-hmm. mental health treatment. it's just these just were not issues I had thought about, sure, and as I learned more, as I got more context, my personal opinions definitely moderated, and I was a lot more sympathetic to just how much work it is to be poor <laughs> yeah. and how much, um, how difficult it can be to get ahead in life if you start off at a disadvantage. Right. So I, uh, I moderated a lot on, on those counts, but then really for me, I became... All of that was sort of heart work for me, you know, Mm -hmm. like they were internal changes in me, but they did not so much affect my attachment to the party Uh because my attachment was still very strong. Oh, I I bet it. Born into it. Um, It was really the rise of the Tea Party movement that started severing my attachment to the Republican Party Mm -hmm. because I was like... Oh, things are going in a rough direction. And to be honest, I trace I trace the current state of the Republican Party and the election of Donald Trump to the Tea Party movement. Oh, yeah. I think that was really what, you know, got the wheels rolling. And I sort of saw it coming. You know, it was like I, I knew once that started, things were heading in a direction that I was really uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I'm much more of a... Um, an ideological conservative than sure. I am like a fiscal conservative mm-hmm. and it was nerve wracking to me to have fiscal conservatism made like the end all and be all. And I thought when you do that, so much else gets sacrificed. Right. And it really made me uncomfortable. So ever since then it's been sort of a, a steady decline. Right. I'm still technically a Republican. Part of that is that it's just really hard to let go. <laughs> Part of it is that in Maryland, you can only vote in primaries if you are a member of a party. Uh-huh. So if we had an open primary system, it would be different. Yeah. Um, but I I want to vote. <laughs> so I want to be registered in a party. And then the other thing, and actually this is probably the most important thing to me, is that Maryland is so democratic. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like my vote is not going to really affect much in this state. Like, Maryland is never going, never in the foreseeable future, it's never going to elect a Republican senator. It's It has, like, one token uh, Republican congressional district. The others, you don't have a chance because Maryland is one of the most heavily gerrymandered states in the whole country. Mm-hmm. And the only Republicans we can get elected to the governor's mansion are pro-choice moderates. Uh, and we're always going to our electoral college votes are always going to go to a Democrat. So I don't, I don't really, there's no like close race that I can make a change in. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like I can sort of stick up my hand and say, we're here too. (laughs) I'm going to put this conservative vote forward because I don't want you liberals to think that you have total carte blanche, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's sort of been my position. I'm becoming less comfortable with that position with the changes in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. But that's why I have not as of yet given up my membership in the party.
1: Yeah, well I, I certainly get that and and the situation in Tennessee is just about a mirror image of, of that or at least in in my area. So um, Tennessee East Tennessee is the the most conservative part of, of Tennessee and that's where I am they do they elect Democrats in, in Memphis they elect some Democrats I think in in Nashville in the city um, but in in East Tennessee they don't elect any Democrats I mean hardly yeah. ever at all and uh, it's the same kind of thing it's like I can vote it doesn't matter if I You know, if I vote for a Democrat for president, it's going to have it's Trump is going to win Tennessee no matter what I do. There's Mm -hmm. nothing I can do about that. Um, So but I have the advantage over you because we do have open primaries and Mm -hmm. I I am not registered as a member of any party and I can vote in whichever primary suits my fancy in a Mm -hmm. given time. So usually I like to vote in the Republican primary because that's where the action is. The Republican's going to win. So I want a chance Mm -hmm. to pick at least in the primary, the person, you know, have a a chance there to, to say what I like, um, on that level. But, um, I've been, you know, you say that about, you know, raising your hand and saying, well, I'm here. So I've been, I've been more thinking about voting for more Democrats for that reason, because I don't understand exactly how this works. I'm not being, you know, plugged into party politics, but apparently funding and that sort of thing is related to how many people actually vote Democrat versus Republican. And Hmm. so in this most recent, um, most recent local election that we just had, I did vote for some Democrats just because I didn't really have a preference one way or the other in terms of the person. And I thought, well, exactly like you're saying, I'll show them. There are some Democrats here. This person's not going to win, but I just want them to see that, you know, here we are. And Right. Um, and we exist. And because it's really discouraging here. I don't know if it's as bad as this in Maryland, but in our, a lot of our local elections, there's not even a Democrat running against a Republican. Mm. They don't nobody even even bothers to try because it's hopeless. And I don't think that's healthy, you know? Yeah. That, oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So I'd like to see, um, I would like to see some change there. So that's, that's why I've kind of leaned a little bit more that way recently, but, you know, um, you know, talking about becoming uncomfortable uh, I started becoming uncomfortable with i think it was when george George h. w Bush was running um i didn't get to vote. The first time I could have voted for president, I was in Washington and I didn't get my absentee ballot in time. And so I don't think I actually voted the first time, but I have voted. My, my vote has flip-flopped a lot for president, especially. I've done a lot of different things. I've voted for Democrats. I've voted for Republicans. I've voted none of the above. I've declined to vote at all, kind of depending on where my conscience was at any particular given time. Um, but the first, the first time I ever voted in a presidential election, I did vote for Republican. And the reason that I did was because I had started thinking more and more about, um, I, I mean, we had always been very pro-life in my family. Always. We, mm-hmm. uh, I talked about my mother having pamphlets about George McGovern. She also had like anti-abortion pamphlets in the same drawer with the George McGovern pamphlets oh, were all the pamphlets with the, <laughs> yeah, with the, the terrible pictures, you know, of, of aborted babies and all that. So she right. was a member yeah. of the local right to life group, was called Tennessee Volunteers for Life back then. So I, we were always, you know, very, you know, against abortion. And I, I participated in debates where I espoused the anti-abortion position and where I espoused the anti-death penalty position. Those things always were super consistent to me so I'd always felt that way but then I got into this thing where I fell for the whole if you are against abortion that's the only issue it's the most important issue you know all these babies are dying you've got to vote for the pro-life candidate it's the only thing that's important so I kind of I went with that in that first mm-hmm. presidential election mm-hmm. and then as, mm-hmm. as time went on I've gotten less comfortable with that because I started thinking more about well sure that's the most important issue but what effect? is the president actually having on that issue? Um, you know, I started to like take a lot more things into consideration with that. And so I've kind of gone, gone back and forth um, without my views on abortion changing at all because they haven't. Um, but it is a very uncomfortable thing to be someone who calls themselves a, for want of a better term, a pro-life Democrat.
0: hmm Well, one thing, one difficulty you and I have as Catholics is that as Catholics, we are also experiencing a sort of partisan divide within our church. Yes. So to summarize, to make something probably too simple and brief, the church has teaching on a wide variety of issues. It differentiates on the importance of those issues. So it does consider abortion to be of very high importance because you're talking about the taking of an innocent human life so morally it is very important that you defend that innocent human life but it also has a lot of other issues that it considers Mm -hmm. important though not to that same degree so teachings you know that would encourage us to defend programs that help the poor and defend the immigrant and care for the environment, you know, there's a Mm -hmm. whole bunch of issues. So unfortunately, you have a lot of Catholics who pit one side against the other, right? as opposed to seeing the beauty of all of those teachings put together, they pit one side against the other. So one side will say, well, abortion is the most important, so you must choose it no matter what. And then you have other people who say the church is obsessed with abortion. Look at all these other important issues. And personally, I find this situation so frustrating because I feel like when you separate those sides, Mm -hmm. you diminish the whole message. Yes. And the church's teaching is so much stronger when you connect those dots. And I feel like so many Catholics have just totally given up that advantage by choosing one side over the other
1: absolutely and and i think unfortunately it speaks to how can i say this the fact that many catholics i feel like may feel like they're choosing sides based on what they think is most important catholic teaching but really perhaps they're choosing sides based on their partisan politics and then applying the lens of catholic teaching over the top of it to justify which side they chose Um, Right. I I feel like I see that. And um, like I've always I've always hoped that there would one day be some candidate who where the candidates were absolutely identical in every way, except, you know, one was Republican and pro-choice and one was a Democrat and pro-life and just see what justifications one side or the other would would put up for why they didn't vote for the person who was opposite in party to them, because I just feel like that would be a thing, you know, for a lot of people. Right. And, and yeah, and you know, you can, you can have people who say, okay, I'm very uncomfortable. I've got to, I feel like I've really got to vote for the, the anti-abortion candidate because it's the most important thing, but all these other things are super important and it kills me to do this, but you don't see a lot of that. You see a lot of people who really disregard whichever of the two things, you know, whichever of the sides is not really as important to them. That's what I feel like I see. Anyway. Right. And maybe no, I'm being cynical but.
0: No, no, I absolutely. I mean, I'm very sympathetic to somebody who, when it comes down to it, you can only vote for one candidate. Right. So I get that none of these voting choices are going to be easy and that at the end of the day, you need to make a choice. Right. And it's not going to be perfect choice. It's just inherently not. So I get that. Right. Um What really gets me is that the, the language that people use around mm-hmm. politics, mm-hmm. Um, it just really bothers me that so many of my more conservative Catholic friends will only want to talk about abortion. And many of my more liberal Catholic friends will only want to talk about those other social issues. Right. And even for people who claim to be sympathetic to the other side, they still will only talk about that one side. Yes. And personally, I find that a lot of what they prioritize seems to me to align very well with the communities in which they live. So like in Maryland, even though it is very liberal state, we have m- much more conservative rural parts of the state. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's easy for a liberal Catholic in a liberal state to insist that the church teachings on poverty, immigration in the environment, etc., need to be yeah, prioritized. Sure. It's easy for them to do that because those are the thinking of their friends and neighbors that is what is normal in their community and it is easy for a conservative catholic in a conservative state to insist that the church's teaching on abortion mm-hmm. push every other consideration out of the way because that's what's normal for their communities yeah <laughs> so in in my mind i i feel like Okay, that's easy enough. What's a challenge is for you to say, okay, the Catholic teaching – matters to me. And in my particular community, the pro-life thing is covered. They got this. Yeah. (laughs) My community is very pro-life. So maybe I don't need to speak on that issue. Maybe it would be more helpful for my conservative pro-life friends and neighbors to see me talking about poverty and immigration and the environment. Maybe that might open some hearts and start the wheels of changing somebody's mind because the pro-life thing is covered. And then, in a more liberal community, maybe someone who is a, is a liberal Catholic is frustrated with the church as a whole because they think the church is too focused on abortion. But that doesn't mean their community is so focused yeah. on abortion. Like if you are a liberal Catholic living in a liberal area, you got all that liberal stuff covered. It's done. Your friends and neighbors are already on that page. Mm-hmm. What is more helpful is you talking about Uh, the importance of defending unborn life. Like that's where you can make a difference. So really in all of this divisiveness within the church on pretty much a partisan level, like it bothers me because it's divisive. Like that's the biggest part of it. But more than that, it also bothers me because it's ineffective. Mm. It is, (laughs) it is like, it is, Squashing your potential to make a yeah. difference in your community, and it just drives me nuts
1: well so i i it's interesting hearing you put it all like that because I realize that's that's kind of the 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 place that I've put myself in um is to do what you're talking about because mm-hmm. i you know I have a blog and I write about this stuff, and I also have a Facebook page for my blog and I post constantly um Right now, I mean, for the past like two months, it's been like Black Lives Matter central, like all tons of stuff on that. Um, and I think I've lost some followers and, you know, I don't care. Um, but I am always trying to post consistent ethic of life things, including abortion. I write mm-hmm. a lot about abortion. Um, I I feel like I'm kind of uniquely placed in this way because I, you know, I used to be the head of the Respect Life Committee in in the Diocese of Knoxville. I've written Mm. and spoken on abortion issues for years and years and years. So You ought not to be able to question my bona fides there, although it hasn't stopped people. Um, And so therefore, I feel like I can speak from there. You know, they know how I feel about that. So maybe if I feel all these other ways about these other church teachings that are not super popular at all in Tennessee, um, that maybe it'll make people think exactly what you're saying. And I have tried. During 2016 election in particular, I tried really hard to kind of make a space for discussion. I would post articles and I would try to like have respectful talks with people and, and um, try to be in that place, that middle place. And now what I found interesting is that worked to a certain extent in getting my pro-choice friends to listen to me about abortion, not to change their minds necessarily, but at least to see why some people would feel that way. And that it's not, oh, you want to, you know, control women's bodies or whatever. They could really see and respect because they could see how it was a consistent thing in my belief system and in the church's belief system as I explained it to them. But I have not unfortunately gotten the same response from the other side. And in 2016, I was told, um, you know, things like, oh, well, you're just, you're just clearly a Democrat and you just want to vote for Democrats, no matter what, you're a Democrat down to your toes, was one comment. Um, mm-hmm. Another one was, uh, you're you're going to be excommunicated if you don't vote for um, the Republican in this race. A lot of that, just really a terrible personal attacks um, based on, you know, me saying that I wasn't going to vote for Donald Trump. Um, mm-hmm. And it was... That's one thing I would like people to know about this is it's very it's you know, it's I'm not a Democrat down to my toes. I'm a Catholic down to my toes. And Mm -hmm. this has been very painful. It's not easy to make these decisions and it shouldn't be easy for any Catholic to choose who to vote for. If you really believe in all the church's social teachings, it should be hard no matter what. There should be some struggle Mm -hmm. involved no matter what. And I have struggled mightily and and have bounced back and forth you know over the years with this but i do try very much in a very public way um to put all this stuff out there but try to hopefully educate some people hopefully start some discussions um i've had people you know come to me in in private messages and tell me you know i really appreciate you putting this out out here i feel the same way but i'm afraid to talk about it um so, you know, I, every now when I I feel really beaten down, I'll get some encouraging word and I'll, I'll go back and, and try again, but I don't do as much of it as I used to just because I got so beaten down in 2016 and it was so terrible.
0: That's hard. That's hard. I mean, I have, I I have honestly been a lot more quiet Mm -hmm. on a lot of this than maybe my, uh, my personality, my like original personality would have you think because I'm generally pretty outspoken. Yeah. But I just have had a big sense about um, a lot of the, especially arguments you're seeing on social media are are unwinnable and yeah. are, are yeah. harmful to people. Yeah. And I have made a really like conscious decision to stay away from things that mm-hmm. I, where I don't feel like I can have a good effect, yeah. you know, and- um, I don't want to damage my relationships for no good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that doesn't mean I don't say anything. And I, I will, I will say things when I think I can be constructive. Um, and so I, so I've been a lot quieter mm-hmm. than I would even expect of myself. And sometimes I think that was the right choice. Sometimes it probably was me being a little nervous. Yeah. Um, But the one thing you said really stuck out to me. You mentioned somebody said, oh, you're going to be excommunicated if you vote for a Democrat. Um, I get really angry with people who will pass spiritual judgments Mm -hmm. based on someone's vote. Yeah, Because, you know, as Catholics, we ought to know that – Credential judgment is, is worth quite a lot yeah. and understanding of situations and understanding of motives and all of that. And I think it's, um, it's important to recognize that we are not all making the same kinds of calculations. Yes. We are not all in the same position. So the way I vote in very liberal Maryland is going to be different than how I would vote if I were living in the most conservative part of Mississippi. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, what I can do is different in these communities. And since there is no candidate who perfectly represents my opinions, then the best I can do is to try to make the most positive impact possible. And that is going to look different based on the part of the country I'm in and the community I find myself in mm-hmm. makes makes sense, so it just really bugs me. I feel like, okay, well, that might be easy for you to say from where you live, but that maybe you might be pointing that message at someone who's in a very different position
1: well so. it's always you know it's always easy to. <clears throat> to throw, you know, attacks at people and to make yourself feel, feel good about what you're doing by attacking other people. But, you know, there's, there's Dang. the bishops put out a guide to faithful citizenship every election year. It's very exhaustive and explains all the factors that go into, to picking candidates. And, and there is no one Catholic way to vote. Even, even the Pope, you know, said, um, I, he said something like the people are sovereign, he said, you know, you, you pick, you, you make your, you make your own judgments on this. You study, you look at the candidates, you pray about it and you, you make a choice. And I've, and I've written many posts about this too. I've got one called Catholic Voting 101, uh, a guide to the, for the confused. Um, But it doesn't, I I write these things, but they don't really, they don't really help. You know, it's, it's more like kind of preaching to the choir, like the people who get it already get it more. And the people who are determined not to get it, are never going to get it, and it's like what you say. It, it feels kind of futile, and that's uh, that part of why I have I stepped back some. But then last summer, I guess I went to um, it was my my thirty year college reunion at Georgetown, and we went to a little workshop that was put on by the Center for Social Justice there, and they talked about it being kind of um, I guess a moral imperative that when there are injustices in the world, that it's that we really are morally obligated to use our our circles of influence to try to, to make changes where we can. And I thought, you know, I've got the circle of influence. I have a blog, I have a Facebook page that has like 2,600 people who like it supposedly. And it's felt kind of cowardly um, on my part to not at least try to say things, even if, right. Even if it didn't seem like they were having a huge effect, maybe they're having a little effect that I can't know about. So I've tried to go and be more, 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 active in these areas uh than i had been for a while but it's still i still have to pull back sometimes because it's just it's exhausting you know really
0: yeah um what do you wish that committed partisans would understand about people who are politically uncomfortable
1: (sighs) that's a good question i mean i'm not really sure i i know how to answer that i i feel like they ought to look on that as a strength instead of, I would like them to look on it as being a strength in those people rather than some kind of defect. Um, That it means that whatever they agree, whatever I agree with you about, if you're a Republican, I've thought really hard about that. And I really agree with you and whatever I might agree with someone who's a Democrat, um, I've really thought hard about that position. I think that that they should welcome that there are people who agree with them on whatever level and not chastise people who are not like all in one way or the other. I mean, really, I, I feel like if people are thoughtful, there ought to be more people who are politically uncomfortable and fewer people who are committed partisans, if that makes sense.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that you're
1: much nicer than I am.
0: (laughs) Because, Because my thought is when I think about really committed partisans, I feel like telling them, you don't know how good you have it. You don't know how nice it is mm-hmm. to be able to put all your eggs in one basket and wholeheartedly support a candidate and make a political donation and put a sign in your yard. You don't know how good you have it. <laughs> yeah. Because I can't do those things. I can't put a sign in my yard. I can't. um, I could make a donation maybe to like a, a cause or an interest group that's yeah. narrow, but I can't I have yet defined a candidate that I can write a check to wholeheartedly, you sure. know? Yeah, absolutely. So it it's really hard to be in this uncomfortable position and feel like you don't know how much support to give or you don't know how to express that support mm-hmm. because you have major reservations about everybody. So
1: it's really lonely. Yeah. It's really lonely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally understand that. Um, you know, because I hang out in a lot of spaces online with committed partisans, committed Democrat partisans. And I don't ever feel they're they're always spouting off, you know, various pro choice things that I can't get enthusiastic mm-hmm. about. And uh my, my husband is actually or was a Republican. I don't think he'd call himself a Republican anymore. Um, but he used to he used to like you know drag me to these Lincoln Day dinners that that mm-hmm. they, the Republicans have. I've been and, to a
0: couple Lincoln Day dinners, and, they, <laughs> and I was
1: very uncomfortable. You know, they would get up and they'd be they'd say these things, and they'd be all clapping and they'd be like doing standing ovations, and I would just sit in my chair and glare at him for making me go to them. But I know that if I went to a Democratic one, I would I would be the same issue because they would be cheering about pro choice things, and I would have to sit in my chair for that and and be uncomfortable right. like everywhere. And it would be nice to be able to go to a party and just be, you know, really happy. And, um, now I will say, and I mean, I know that a million people will not agree with me, um, right now, but I, I am able to be enthusiastic about the upcoming presidential election because not because I love everything that there is to love about the, um, democratic platform, because obviously I'm very unhappy about the, the abortion language in the democratic platform. But in this case, I feel like the, the danger, um, posed to the country by reelecting our current president is so so dire and so terrible that I don't have any doubt that I'm doing the right thing by not voting for him. So I can feel, you know, happy for once and casting a vote. Um probably the last time I'll ever be able to feel that way. So I'm gonna enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I I really um I see because I I guess because I came from a more politically active family mm-hmm. as far as like electoral politics. Um I just really miss that time in my life when I could be excited about yeah. a party and a candidate. I really miss it. I, I miss those like election night parties. Oh, it
1: sounds like so much fun. Oh, campaign
0: events, watching the, watching the debates and having a real like horse in the race. Mm -hmm. Oh, I miss that all so much. Oh yeah.
1: Like we love watching the debates. We all, we watch them together and we're sitting there and we're like all happy. And then all of a sudden they say some cringy, terrible thing and we all just groan and are miserable. You know, (laughs) it's really hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I really miss all of that Mm -hmm. and it does make me more sympathetic to people who are partisan. Like Mm. it does, like it, it feels good to be on a team. It really does. And I get why people want to be on a team. I get it. It's, I think in our human nature, we want to have, we want to have a side to root for.
1: Absolutely.
0: So I am very sympathetic, um, but probably more than that, I'm just kind (laughs) of jealous. But no, not, not that I would, give up where i am because i do feel very convicted that neither side represents my political beliefs and therefore it is my duty to give neither side my full support. Sure. Um so i'm i'm comfortable in where i am but i do miss feeling attached.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. No i can i can totally understand that. It's like having your you know your favorite football team or it's 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 in our DNA i think to Yeah. Uh, I know my 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 son was he doesn't understand sports and he doesn't like sports. And he said something like, it's because we have to have these sports because we're not like, you know, people used to have to fight, like you used to have to have actual battles all the time. Yeah, and, and when that absolutely. went away, they needed something to fight about. And so they invented sports to have things to fight about. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that that's definitely part of the whole political thing too. It's just, it's fun to be allied. It's fun to have. It is. It's fun for people who like politics, like you and I like politics. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, because a lot of people don't, you know, I hear people say, right. I just don't get into that or I'm just not interested in that. And I'm baffled because it's so much fun, you know, don't you think it's, we get so excited about the debates and, you know, we, we love this stuff and, and for people who don't love it and they, they probably think we're crazy too, I guess, but it would be even more fun as you say, if you could really root for one side, you know, all the time that that's my team and wear your team colors and your, your team jersey. Um, oh,
0: yeah, and I am not a sports person. they've just never really appealed to me, mm-hmm. but I do get that i do get that um attraction to it that yeah. like team team attraction to it so like when I worked in Annapolis, I remember, you know, Annapolis is not a very big town. So anywhere you go in the downtown area, you're liable to run into a legislator or a lobbyist or a staffer or something. And, you know, if you're a good lobbyist, you keep your ears open and you pay Uh attention to what's going on around you. And I remember like being in line to get lunch and seeing a legislator talk to their staffer about something and totally e- eavesdropping. <laughs> <laughs> and then like running back to my office saying, guess
1: what I just heard? <laughs> Such intrigue. It's like like spying. That's awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. And it was so exciting and so much fun. I loved it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people would just think that was silly or absurd. but um, But if you think about it in the sense of like, your favorite sports team or something, yeah. you know, like, Oh, did you hear who, you know, who's going to get drafted or, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't I, even know this language,
1: but I, I think it's, I think it's very, I think it's it's coming from a very similar instinct that people have. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then right now, I mean, on top of politics being so important because of all of the important things that are going on, mm-hmm you have actually had fewer sports viewing available. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like literally people haven't been able to watch sports. So just in addition to the importance of politics, it, it has also sort of taken over as a form of entertainment for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, I
1: think you're right.
0: Like it hasn't before. So they have a lot more time on their hands and they don't have as many sports to devote their attention to.
1: Yeah, and, <laughs> and aren't we lucky that it's just so entertaining right now? You know, there's always right. there's always something entertaining happening. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, goodness. Now, have you found anything positive or even liberating about being politically uncomfortable?
1: I don't know that it feels liberating. It, it, Like I said, it often feels like a struggle. I mean, the positive thing is I can be sure that... I really believe the things I say, I believe I'm not just spouting off, you know, a liberal line or a conservative line. Um, I have to think about all the things so I can feel really confident that um, the things I believe, I believe for a reason. And uh, so, you know, I, I think that's a positive. That's a, I feel like it's a moral positive, you know, for me Um, I feel like it makes me more of a consistent person because I feel like the, my, the things I've picked and chosen from both sides, um, Align uh, in a, a consistent moral fashion. So, so you know, of course, I like that. I feel good about all the things that I believe. So, I guess I would have to say I feel good about being politically uncomfortable, but I still feel uncomfortable.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I personally, I do feel liberated. Good. So, I and this is sort of a new realization or feeling for me. But uh, you know, especially if you've. If you've studied political science, you'll realize that a lot of the um, the, pl- the 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 elements of the party platforms mm-hmm. are they're pretty arbitrary. Mm. <laughs> like they they're functions of particular members of a party and particular states they needed to ah. capture to get a majority and you know particular situations through history. It's not necessarily that there's an ideological thread through all of them you know a lot of it is really just arbitrary (laughs) and I think it can take uh committed partisans almost like some mental gymnastics to fit everything together you know Uh like okay well oh well the party seems to be heading in this direction okay how am I going to fit that into my uh, my checklist of what I believe. Oh, all right. You know? Yeah. And I feel liberated that I just do not have to consider that.
1: Well, now I when don't... you put it, when you put it that way, I, I, I guess I can see that completely. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. So in that sense, um, the less connected I've become to a political party, the more free I feel, you know, it's like I can weigh issues and make judgments and come, you know, come to my own positions and I don't have to do what they tell me to do. Mm -hmm. And it feels great. Yeah.
1: (laughs) If only we could ever get to a point, do you think we'll ever get to a point where this, this two-party system falls apart and goes away? Um,
0: i do think we are in for a change i don't think a two-party system will go away i think that our political structure Mm -hmm. is very well suited to a two-party system um and i don't think um, i don't think you can look at our history and argue that we're set up to be a multi-party system or a single-party system it's it's just pretty much always been two major parties um so i don't think we'll get rid of that i do think we're in for some major changes i think that i mean and honestly my concern with when the tea party movement Mm -hmm. rose up my concern was that was and here's me being very cynical (laughs) my concern was that was the beginning of the end for the republican party Uh yeah i i just thought that was going to be the beginning of what would spiral downward Mm -hmm. and so far nothing i've seen has changed my opinion on that it's only made me more sure of it yeah so i honestly and that was i was very unhappy with trump as a candidate Mm -hmm. for president for the republican party Um, and i did not vote for him i voted third party um but it wasn't only that I disliked Trump is that I, it, it made me really fear about what his election would do to the Republican party and that it was really going to cause irreparable damage to it. Uh-huh. And I think it has.
1: Oh yeah, I think absolutely. It has.
0: And I think that um, it is going to attract fewer and fewer people as time goes on. And, um, and that really bothers me. And I, I'm really unhappy with Republicans who have stood back and and let it happen. Yeah. Because I think it's really important that we have two strong parties. Right. That's one thing that really bothers me about Maryland is that it's so dominated by the Democrats. Yeah. That um, a, a, a a system that's dominated by one party necessarily is not going to be as strong as one that has to do a give and take, you know, you kind of need to do the give and the take to stay healthy and to stay connected to your voters, because when you're the only game in town, you can do whatever the heck you want. Yeah. And um, especially when you have more of a like, uh, um, what's the term? sort of like a party boss kind of system, Mm -hmm. you know, where you have kingmakers within a party, Mm -hmm. then what you get are you get a whole bunch of people who need to impress the bigwigs to get into power. And it's just like a, it feeds corruption. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a cycle that just gets worse and worse all the time. So I think it's really important that you have two strong parties and I am very unhappy that Republicans a lot of Republicans to me seem to be standing back and allowing their party to be weakened. Yes. Because I think it's bad for our system. Yeah. And that's to me, I, I've also realized in the past few years mm-hmm. that really what I care about is having a healthy system. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to live in a country where the government, functions well. I want to have, I want to live in a country where the justice system functions well, where the uh, legislature balances itself out, where the legislative branch and the executive branch branch check each other. Mm-hmm. I want them all to keep each other in check. Right. <laughs> um, and I think we are really falling off of that oh yeah it's very concerning to me so more than one party right now what i want is a system that functions well and that is actually my primary concern with the trump administration rather than any particular policy it's the hits that the system as a whole is Uh is taking right now
1: oh that, that makes total sense to me um yeah uh that's that's a more like a wonky political way of looking at it than probably most people do, but i think you're you're hundred percent right about all of that and uh that I guess i'm sure you probably follow um the lincoln project republicans right um, yeah, and you know i I love them and the that they're they're concerned about the same kinds of things you're you're talking about I think.
0: They are. They can be <laughs> – I do find them very interesting. They can be pretty nasty Oh yeah. how they're going about it. Yes. Um, I think another group to um, encourage people to look at is called Republican Voters Against Trump. And that one actually, what they do is they just collect videos. Oh, from... yes. I
1: saw some of those. Those were amazing. Yeah
0: right so it's just a much simpler message yeah. and really a much kinder message oh, it's yeah. just like hey i'm a republican voter i've always voted republican and i can't do it this year yeah and um and i think those kinds of like everyday normal people conversations are probably the right thing to talk about right now you know
1: yes yes you're you're yeah. right i mean that's definitely the the lincoln project videos are more kind of like um hitting hitting mr trump with kind of his own his own yeah. brand of campaigning i think it doesn't really elevate the discourse particularly right um, right
0: they're like a little they're like a little for, for those who do
1: like politics as a sport. Yeah. They're like, yes, exactly. You know? They're entertainment. entertaining. But, entertainment. Yeah. but I did see some exactly. of those videos you're talking about. Um, i would forgotten the name of that group and they were, yeah, they were really bad, moving, yeah. you know, to, to watch some of these people and yeah, they feel really, they cause they, some of them feel really terrible that things have turned out this way. This isn't what they meant to happen or thought would yeah. happen. And and I thought that was very convicting and, and probably might have more of an impact on your, your rank and file voters than, you know, Right.
0: Um, yeah, they're just a lot more compelling because they're regular people. You yeah. Know? And actually, sp- speaking of regular people, I um I am aware when I, when I say like my priority right now is making sure the system is healthy. Yeah. I am very well aware that the reason that Donald Trump was elected is because there were a whole bunch of people who were tired of the system. Yeah. And actively wanted to dismantle it. Right. And I think personally, I feel like um a lot of that is a a response to sort of an economic and social environment that feels scary and unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people felt left behind and they just wanted to burn it all down. And I get that and I am sympathetic to it, but I think people should consider what that means Like, what does it mean to burn the system down? And as much as I'm sure people wanted things shaken up, I think most Americans, if they really stop to consider it, they're still going to want a justice system that treats people fairly. They're still going to want a legislature that checks the executive. Um, They're still going to want um, something like, you know, inspectors general. To work within federal agencies yeah. to root out fraud and corruption and waste, so uh, you know I just think I get that impulse and I am sympathetic to it, but I think we ought to challenge ourselves. If we feel like burning it down, we ought to ask ourselves what we really mean by that and how how badly we want it burnt.
1: Yeah, and what, what are we going to replace it with if we burn it down? You right. Know? And I, right. think, I think that's kind of what we've had going on right now is a lot of burning down without a lot of putting anything back up. I mean, there, there are certainly we have many unjust structures and systems that we need to be working on. Um, but you don't just like level the whole thing and don't have a plan for what you're going to do instead.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's not how any of us would so. function in our regular lives. That's not how we would function with our career, yeah. with our home, with our family. None of us would say, I am so dissatisfied with, you know, with all these things of my real regular life that I just want to burn it all down mm-hmm. without any plan. No. No, we we want to make sure that we're actually improving our situation and not burning it down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like of- an impulse like, oh, I just want to change. I don't care what kind of a change mm-hmm. or what will happen. I just am tired of this and I want a different thing. That's, yeah. that's not real practical.
0: Right. Sort of like, you know, it's, it's something that, is, that lends itself much better to a meme than a real life strategy. You know, it's like, you know, when people <laughs> see a big spider and everybody comments on Facebook with yeah. like, you know, glow torches and yeah. burn it all down. And, you know, it's it's something that, you know, it's a funny little impulse. It's not a way to cast your vote. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for talking to me. This was a really interesting conversation, and I found it personally sort of cathartic to talk about all
1: of it. Oh, I know. Isn't it it fun? I don't often get to have this kind of conversation.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really
1: appreciate your time. Uh, Thank you. I'm honored to be here.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Leslie Sholey. To learn more about Leslie, please check out her blog at lifeineverylimb.com and follow her on Facebook at Life in Every Limb and on Twitter and Instagram, both at Leslie Scholey. I'll include links to Leslie's blog and her social media handles, as well as to a couple of the posts she referenced in our conversation in the episode description. Next week's episode is going to be a little different from the past several episodes. Rather than sitting down for one long conversation with a friend, next week I'll be doing most of the talking. All that political discomfort from today's episode aside, last week I watched all four nights of the Democratic National Convention, and this week I'm watching all four nights of the Republican National Convention. next week's episode I'll be reviewing both of them, with some help from a friend or two. Thank you for listening to this episode of More Than Politics. I hope you'll subscribe to it, and that if you like it, you'll leave a rating or review so others can find it. I'd appreciate any shares, too. Your help is the best way to let others know about the podcast. If you have ideas for topics you'd like me to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, please email me at julie.walsh.thesewalls at gmail.com. My name is Julie Varner Walsh. I'm your host. You can learn more about me by checking out my blog at thesewallsblog.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at Julie V. Walsh and Facebook at More Than Politics Podcast. This podcast's theme music is by purple-planet.com.